Phone check. Welcome, 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 welcome. Man, I don't, it doesn't feel loud. Enough. Check, check. That feels a little better. We are back once again with ATP Around the Post, your favorite tennis podcast. Ask Breakpoint and Netflix. Uh, your boy Jay is present with Mark Figueroa in the building. How you feeling, man? Good. <clears throat> there was a lot of news that uh, we had missed because uh, we were filming or uh, recording the podcast. Yeah. So the news was happening while we were recording. Yeah. So there's a lot of news to uh, talk about today. It's a loaded episode. Oh, I love to hear that it's a loaded episode. Where do we start? We're going to start with the Netflix curse continues with the second season. So we knew about the first season, um, people, soccery, mm-hmm. uh, Berrettini not being able to play. But now we had the new crop, which was uh, Medvedev, Zverev, mm-hmm. uh, Pagula, uh, Alcaraz, Holger Runa. Mm-hmm. Well, two of those people bowed out early, and these are contenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start with, since we're talking about the WTA, we're going to start with Pagula. Mm-hmm. As you know, by the Netflix um, documentary, uh, she is the daughter of the Buffalo Bills owner. Mm-hmm. And she's been ridiculed because throughout that episode, even they say money can't buy ranking. Well, she ended up losing in the second round to an unseated player, 6462. Mm-hmm. And then she was supposed to play her, um, her name is um, Clara Burrell. Mm-hmm. Then she was supposed to play her in doubles as well. Mm-hmm. But then Coco and Pagula decided to bow out of the doubles. So um, Pagula did not get her revenge against this uh, person in the doubles. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Look, my thoughts on Pagula is she had a bad tournament. It is what it is. The Netflix curse is hilarious. It's a coincidence. It's interesting. But was Sabalenka on Netflix? She was on the first one, yes. Yes, and she's doing fantastic. Yes. So um, I think that it's just coincidence. You know, I think that there can only be one winner at a Grand Slam. And these are players that, although you're right, they were contenders. Maybe they were in our top five picks. Yes. They're not our top three picks. And so I, I'm not with the Netflix curse. Okay. So since we're talking about the Netflix curse, we're going to talk about the season two, episode two mm-hmm. uh, player, which is Holger Runa. Mm. He was supposed to make it to at least the quarterfinals. I agree. And he lost in the second round to a person, Arthur Cousseau, who actually had a very good tournament. Uh, but prior to the Australian Open, he hadn't had a victory on tour. And he beat Holger Runa. Now, in the previous um, um, match, he was asked about the Netflix curse. And Hulkaruna responded, I'm sorry, but I think it's stupid. But he ended up losing. So mm. is it really stupid? What are your thoughts on the exit of Hulkaruna in the second round? I'm, I'm of the thought that Hulkaruna exiting the second round is a disappointment and an upset. But it's not... It's not that crazy or far-fetched, right? We've seen him yo-yo up and down in his performance throughout the last year. And we did think that he finally found some momentum and was going to really break through and have a big performance here. But it's not his time yet. I think that's what it ultimately is. And I think he's on to something when he says it's it's not real. And I think he has the right mindset. Yes, uh, it, was, it was quite disappointing to see him bow out early. And as a matter of fact, people are calling for Boris Becker to... Uh, stop coaching Hogaruna. As you know, Boris Becker did not go with Hogaruna to the Australian Open. He had uh, obligations that he had to commit to, and they're saying why. Is, so the the fans are saying, why is he even there if he's not going to coach him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's getting paid to do nothing. So that sounds very familiar. Maybe what Hogaruna said about Patrick Martagliu. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts there? I do think that Hogaruna plays better when everyone's in his box. I do think that. 
I do think that the moral support and the energy is something that's transferable. And we might have got a slightly different result from him with a little more support. I agree with that. Um, Do I think that that should be the issue? No. I don't think he should be leaning on his box that heavily or relying on his coach. But I do think that he his coach will make a difference on the mental aspect. So I'd be interested to see the result when he is in the box. Yes. And now the big news of the first week was this tiebreaker between Rabakina and Blinkova. It was 22-20 in the third set tiebreaker. And Rabakina unfortunately ended up losing. I thought she would have done a little better. She spanked uh, Sabalenka in Brisbane, I believe, mm-hmm. won that title. And uh, Sabalenka looked terrible. But here, Sabalenka's in the semifinals uh, trying to avenge that loss to Coco Goff at the U.S. Open. And here, Rabakina is out. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on that? A little surprised to see Rabakina out. Um, do you think that that was a justifiable loss she had? It, it was a very close match. Uh, I really don't think that she could have done anything different, but it is shocking uh, as the higher seed number top five in the world that she would lose that early. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it one of like the longest? I think it was the longest tiebreaker I've ever actually seen before in the WTA. Right. I don't think I've ever seen the inning score in the tiebreaker was 22 to 20. Yes. I've never seen that before in a WTA um, slam match ever. So... It's it's a loss that's unfortunate, but that's the the downside of playing best of three, is you can lose by a narrow margin and there's not a lot of recovery time, so it's unfortunate. But I think that in a best of three, you're more susceptible to not being the the winner. Yes, you know it just happens. Yes, and this is a crazy stat too. Twenty of the thirty two seeds out before the third round, five were in the top eight, mm. and that included ATP and WTA, as you know, Hogger Runa. But most of them were the WTA players. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? That is crazy. Yeah, it's super crazy. Uh, with the WTA, for me, I don't take it as seriously because, for example, Rabakina lost at the Australian Open. How many times did she lose by more than one break? She, she lost by a break in one set, and that's it, and lost the whole match. First set, or she wins one set, up a break, Loses one set, down a break, and then third set goes to an extremely long tiebreaker, and she's out the match. She technically lost the match by one service game and two points. That's narrow margins, you know. And I think that in the WTA, the margin, the margins stay that narrow, and that's why you have less consistent results. Right. You know. So, how many times would we have seen Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic out early in a slam if it wasn't five sets? You know, things would they'd be less dominant. So. I think that five sets has its pros and cons, and I really like the pros. Yes, I agree. So this is actually a funny story. Uh, She hasn't been a contender in a while, but she actually uh, brought up some very hilarious news for sure. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Sloane Stephens. Now, we did talk about her off air uh, last week, you and I saying that she's just there Mm -hmm. to play. She's just there for the money. But um, she actually made a statement. She was asked after her victory... Uh, by a reporter or the reporter said are you flat do you feel that you played fat flat she replied you guys are always going to talk crap about me so i'm just going to play how i play and just have fun that's mm. it <laughs> what are your thoughts on that comment look um we've talked about this off air and there's some topics we discussed that i don't necessarily know if they should be on a podcast so i don't say them but i have always thought that Sloane Stevens is fully capable talent-wise of being a top 10 player right now. If she wanted to. If she wanted to. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Yes. Um, and I think that she mails in performances. I think she shows up and does enough. And I think that she gets away with it because she is extremely talented. I don't think she's putting in the level of grind of a Sabalenka or Niga. I don't think she's as disciplined as them. I don't think she wants to be out there on the court as much as they do. And I think that she lives a very comfortable life and she uses professional tennis as a source of income. You know, that's my genuine opinion. And look, I also that same opinion of me saying I don't think she wants to be out there year round grinding every tournament. I also think that if she really did want to put the time in and do it the right way, she'd be a top 10 player and she'd probably have five slams. Yes. 
You know, that'd be my opinion there. Now, here's the funny story. Uh, Sloane Stevens, uh, in the next match where she lost, she found herself hungry at the time. And she had her box order food. Uh, the food of choice was sushi with a milkshake. They brought it over. They handed it over to the ball kid. And they handed it in the middle of the match. So Sloane Stevens got a uh, warning for taking too long during the break. She took about 30 seconds over and then she said, I'm still eating. So uh, <laughs> she accepted it and just moved on. And she got to finish that uh, meal that she wanted. So that was actually a fairly funny story. Any thoughts on that? That's funny. And it just reinforces my thought that, look, she's going to get her check. And she's going to play this match. And there's nothing you're going to do to stop her from having the time that she wants to have. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yes, it is. That's also a funny combination. Yes. Milkshake and sushi is crazy. Yes, that is that is very weird. The fact that she didn't have problems during the match. Uh, that's just a weird combination to eat at that point. But now we're going to talk about Andreva. She actually had a very uh, good uh, Australian Open. She made a deep run. Uh, in her second round match, as a ma- sorry, third round match, she found herself down one um, five in the third and came back in one seven six. So she is a prodigy. She is supposed to be the future of a uh, of WTA. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on her performance at the Australian Open? You know, I'll be honest. I didn't get to catch her matches live like I wanted to. Um, so I probably have to lean on you more to hear how much we can dig into her performance and what it really means. But, you know, I'm familiar with her results, you know, um, respectable loss. Yes. You know, she went down to Krishkova. I think it was Krishkova um, in split sets. That's solid. That's a good performance. Um, I didn't get to watch her matches in particular. What can you tell me about them? Um, I, I, I just saw the one where she came back from that one five loss. Yeah. And uh, she's, she's definitely living up to the hype there's a lot there she is a very young player talented player mm-hmm. and she has a lot of potential for sure she's going to be a very good player in the near future yeah and she upset jabor in the first round yeah something like that yes yeah so yeah very interesting stuff um i'm gonna start paying closer attention but this in this particular tournament there are so many good matches happening i missed a few of the certain ones live Yes, and then the big one is Nuskova, uh, who ended up upsetting Iga, oh. and then she she was uh, she got a walk over by um, uh, Monfils's uh, wife. I forgot her Svitolina. name. Svitolina. Yeah. and I was extremely disappointed in that one. I was hoping that she would be able to compete. Yeah, but uh, shout out to Nuskova, who actually had a very good Australian Open by defeating um, Iga. Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I just wish she could have followed it up with a an equally significant win after. Um, it's so interesting how sometimes the when the heavyweight gets upset, the player who beats them loses their next match. Yes, that's so weird how that happens. So yeah, it, I'd like to see what she has happening for herself down the road. Yes, she did uh, win the her very next round because um, Svetolina gave her the walkover. So the other big uh, story was Marta Kostiuk. Now, if you don't know her, she's the one that played in that exhibition with Andreva and refused to play her in the final. So they had to get a guy to play um, Andreva. That's who Kostiak is. Mm. She made it to the quarterfinals, lost to Coco Goff. She was actually up, I believe it was 1-4, 1-5 in the first set, 5-1. Lost that set. And then she did end up winning the second set, but lost the third. Hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's impressive. Coco Goff is testing Coco, Do- Coco Goff at this point in her career is an accomplishment if you're an up-and-coming player or an unknown player. Coco Goff doesn't just randomly drop sets. Coco Goff maintains her level pretty consistently. So this is something to pay attention to. I think it's a detail of value. So I think that... At the end of this uh, Australian Open, me and you might need to have a conversation about who really blew up the radar and who set themselves up for a really good year. Yes, the the teenagers uh, definitely set themselves up in the WTA. Yeah. Um, Kostiak is proving that she can be a contender as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also made some comments off court 
saying, uh, let's just call it what it is. These are her words, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Let's just call it what it is. Rada Kanyu had a very easy draw at the U.S. Open when she won. We all know that Layla Fernandez had the tougher draw. Mm-hmm. Anybody could have won with that draw. Mm-hmm. That's what Kostya said about Rada Kanyu. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Um, it's a spicy take. It's a semi-honest take. Here's my first beef. Why doesn't anybody say that about Casper Ruud? <laughs> if it were that easy, Casper Ruud would have a U.S. Open right now, right? You know. Um, secondly, French Open too. French Open too. Secondly, um, look, you can never you can never take away from someone the accomplishment of winning a two week long tournament because you're playing professional tennis players from the tour two consecutive weeks. And if I remember correctly, did she play the qualifiers prior? Emirata Kanye? She did. Yeah. So she played three weeks of tennis. Three consecutive weeks of winning at age 18 or whatever her age was at the event. Um, people who want to take away from her slam are, I mean, simply put their haters. That's yeah. my thoughts. You know, um, an 18-year-old winning three consecutive weeks of professional tennis matches, I don't care if it's a 250 event. You need to pay attention after someone does that. That's very impressive. Um, Emirata Kanye has all my respect. I'll admit, it was an easy draw. <laughs> I'll admit it, but whose fault is that if good players are losing and she's winning? You know, um, draws start off balanced for a reason. And if people are dropping like flies, don't blame me that they didn't win. <laughs> you know, like, that's the ultimate thing for me. So I'm not rolling with it. I agree it was an easy draw. I agree with that. But at the same time, it doesn't matter how I got there. I made it happen. I, I got over that because uh, Fernandez played Savalenka, Svetlana, yeah. beat them, mm-hmm. and then was pretty much worn out in the final. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed at that, but yeah. I finally said, all right, you know, Raducanu is a decent player. She is. So she has to beat the people that are in front of her, and she did. Yeah. So speaking of that, now we have uh, Diana uh, Yastremska who is in the semifinals of the Australian Open. Mm -hmm. She's another qualifier. She had to play qualies. And she is the first uh, qualifier since 1978 to make it to the semifinals of the Australian Open. Mm. She is playing Kin Win Zhang, who is also up and coming. Not up and coming. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll talk about her in in a bit. What are your thoughts on that? Massive. Um... I think we definitely need to keep a close eye on that match because I know you're going to say it in a moment, but Zhang is doing special things. She is. She's doing very special things. And I think that this semifinal on paper looks like two Joe Schmoes wandering into the semis. It's not. Yes. It's really not. And I'm actually very excited for this. You want to dive into a why? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of people are saying that Sabalenka and Coco Goff are the final. Mm -hmm. But... People need to put a little respect on Kinwin Zhang. So mm-hmm. first off, uh, side story here: uh, Vim Visit is the one who dissed uh, Kinwin mm-hmm. for Osaka. By mm-hmm. the way, so that's who that is. Mm-hmm. So Kinwin actually made her top ten debut after the polls are going to be out uh, mm-hmm. after the Australian Open. She's going to be in the top ten. Mm-hmm. And in 2023 U.S. Open, she made it to the quarterfinals. And in this Australian Open, she's in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if it's she's barely making it. She's making noise. Yeah. So people need to respect her. Absolutely. And uh, Chinese player, obviously, she uh, she loves Li Na. Uh, mm-hmm. They got a little a hugging moment. They were talking about doing karaoke, all this mm-hmm. stuff. But what are your thoughts on uh, Kin Win? Um, I'm very excited to see what she can do. Um. Did I hear earlier that she's got some interesting statistics in the tournament? Yes, thank you. Uh, she is the ace leader in the tournament. And with that serve, that's kind of interesting. She yeah. has, it's very glitchy, very, okay, when she gets to the top of the serve, mm-hmm. it's solid. But the bottom, it, it's horrific. Yeah. So I'd like to thank one of our listeners for dropping that uh, yeah, stat. It's yes. a good stat. It's a good stat. Yes. Yeah, so um, what are your thoughts? Any thoughts? Um. I, I want people to know that that final is not as simple as it seems. Keep an eye out because unorthodox players and players that we've seen a pattern in the WTA where players that have been under the radar and go unnoticed 
get studied less and analyzed less. And sometimes our reputable players get caught like deer in headlights when they have to go against these different types of ground strokes and shots from players. And we could see an upset in the final. So keep your eyes open and don't underestimate these two players. I agree. Uh, uh, again, a lot of people are saying that Coco and Sabalenka are the final, but these two have the capability to beat those other two. So they keep do. an eye on them. So speaking of the semifinals, um, we're going to talk about the other one now. Coco Goff is the first American teenager to reach round four at the Australian Open three times. <sighs> she made it in 2020, 2023, and 2024. Hmm. That's how long she's been on tour. Yeah. It's as if she, and she's still a teenager. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Let's keep in mind, she debuted on the tour having to do a part-time schedule at 16 years old. Right. Which means she had four or five years, depending on how you look at it, to be 20 years or younger on this tour. She's a veteran on this tour, yes. you know? Yes. She's extremely experienced on this tour, and... She paid all her dues. She's seen it all now. And she still has 15 years of upside if she takes care of her body correctly. You've noticed she's doing less doubles now. Correct. She's not doing every single tournament, doubles and singles. She's preserving herself. She's fixing things. She's bringing the right people into her circle. She's a factor for the next decade at every tournament she walks in. Right. I agree. So, yeah. Shout out to Coco Goff. Yes. Shout out uh, big time. So, I forgot a stat about Nuskova, but I'll bring it up right now. She's the first teenager to beat a WTA world number one since 1999. And Serena that, Williams. That was when uh, um, Moresmo beat Davenport. Oh. Yes. Not who so, I thought it was. So that's a big stat right there. So now, talking about Sabalenka, she has made six consecutive quarterfinals or better in a row in, turn, in Grand Slam tournaments. Mm-hmm. Huge stat right there. Monster. Ridiculous. What are your thoughts? It's just a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. I think that I think that these there's a lot of stats in the WTA that are making me think, are we about to see a golden era in the WTA? Oh yeah. Um, is that what's on the cusp? You know, we're seeing a lot of extreme talents and people who get it. You know, and I, I don't mean to take subtle shots here, but I don't anticipate these players giving us mental health breaks, disappearing from the tour, wanting to play part time. It seems like we've got a lot of extremely young ladies that are ready to go to war for a decade straight. So WTAs, it's going to get good. It's going to get really good. And I suggest people buy tickets now and catch these people before they're playing in stadium one only. Exactly. Yes. You know? So again, she is the first woman to reach six straight major semifinals in a row. Insane. And it's funny, too, because I, I guess she just gets it out of the way in the 500s and the thousands mm-hmm. where she's getting spanked, Sabalenka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when it really matters, she brings it. She turns it on. She turns it on. As a matter of fact, uh, there's only one person that has done better than uh, Sabalenka. Obviously, you're going to know who it is. Yeah. It is Serena. Yeah. She actually won 10 she made it to 10 semis in a row from 2014 to 2017 in a row. What are your thoughts on that? Sabalenka is, she's really bullied her way into becoming part of this new big three we talk about. And she is gnawing at the bit to become the Iga in the face of the WTA. She's on, she's standing over Iga's shoulder, breathing very heavily. Yes. Saying slip up just a little bit. And this tour is mine. You know, and I think Iga feels that pressure. She does. You know, I think she really does feel that pressure because she knows there's this giant target on her back and someone's standing with a gun right behind her, you know, just waiting for a chance to pull the trigger. So this is going to be a very telling year of what's going to happen moving forward for the WTA. And I love the level of competition we're getting. I love the level of stability we're seeing. And we're seeing new talent to threaten that. Exactly. Everything's looking great again. Yes, exactly. And uh, stat on Coco. She is the youngest American woman to reach the semifinals since 1991. And that person was Mary Jo Fernandez, who is an announcer for ESPN. So good stuff for Coco. 
Sheesh. Yeah, so now we're going to talk about Iga real quick. As you know, she lost early. She was supposed to be... Although, it's kind of hard to say that she was going to be a contender because the Australian Open and Wimbledon are probably her worst uh, Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. But you still think she's a number one player. She's going to make a deep run. But Navratilova took a shot at her. Mm -hmm. And she said... I am un very unhappy with the pulse fluidity on her serve. She needs to fix it before coming back on the tour. She's saying that about whose serve again? Iga. What hmm. are your thoughts on that? She's going to make me want to re-examine the Iga serve motion a little bit because Naritolova is not an opinion I take lightly. No. Um, I don't want to call her a hater because she's she's not really she's a, hater. Not a hater. She's not a hater and she's actually a very passionate athlete. And a fan of the sport. And let's be honest here. It is time for Iga to start making tweaks and adjustments and figuring out how to become the perfect player. You know, just having her unique dynamic play style that shocks everyone on the tour, that is not going to work forever. People are studying it. People are going to figure it out. People are going to adjust, rise to the occasion, and then it'll be her job to rise again. And Navratilova is sniffing out the things that are probably important. She has a little uh, twitch in the bottom of her serve. Yeah. And then when she goes to the top, it's very rushed. It's she yeah. just this real quick. It's not fluid. Yeah. So it, it's not fluid for sure. So she struggles to get up at the top mm -hmm. of, the, of the serve. So Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so that's what Navratilova, I believe, is pointing at. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of the time she does her kick serve very low. Mm -hmm. She hits it very low. So she does need to fix that part for sure. Who, but, who's the, we have the Goron for the men's tour, right? Who kind of shows up and then people serves magically get better. Who does that in the WTA? That's a good question. I don't um, really know. Apparently it's Andy Roddick who has tried, who has a quote unquote fixed uh, uh, Coco serve. Really? Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, she served, uh, up, I believe it was 120-ish or something mm. along those lines. So yeah, that okay. was, that's solid. So yeah, but Okay. Navratilova, I like you. I respect the heck out of you, obviously. Yeah. But all the WTA serves are pretty bad. Let's be frank about that. Yes, so, but when you're the face of the WTA and you're you've got Sabalenka breathing in your ear, and you've got Rabakina who hits bigger than you, what are we going to do to separate and make ourselves comfortable as the number one and stay that way a long time? Okay. Because the baseline game's not the issue. Got him. <laughs> that's fair you know that's fair um, yes so i think that navratilova is not saying hey you have a bad server hey this is a hole in your game she's saying hey make yourself more well-rounded make everything okay. a weapon make yourself more complete so that you can cut through grass there you go maybe you will win wimbledon you know maybe you'll make a lot more noise there with a the bigger and better serve so i think she's on to something okay uh i'll accept that <laughs> all right so now moving on to the men so as you saw all that was just wta right there jeez so packed episode mm. so now we're gonna get to the atp so nadal mentioned that his injury was not that big as anticipated mm. and he will not be out as long as a matter of fact he entered to play in doha mm -hmm. so uh they're gonna play i believe they're gonna play in uh rotterdam and then right after, maybe mid-February, they'll be in, in the United Arab Nations. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on Nadal returning fairly early? You know, I have a few things to say about Nadal. Um, happy to hear that he's returning fairly early. Um, but a lot of people are talking about his negotiation, negotiations and relations with the Middle East. Right. And uh, a lot of... Ambassador. This, yeah, Mr. Ambassador. Um do you think it's a positive, a negative? What are your thoughts? Oh, he's getting slammed for that. As a matter of fact, uh, the United Nations are trying to get the WTA to hold the um, uh, year-ending tournament there. Mm -hmm. And we do know how wonderfully they uh, treat women. <laughs> so um, I don't think that's a brilliant idea. Women can't even get driver's license. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, that, I don't think that's a brilliant idea. But yeah, he's getting a lot of flack for that. Mm. But I don't know. I don't want to call Nadal a sellout or money yeah. speaks, but there's he has an agenda. So yeah. and even Iga mentioned it. He's all I can't speak to what he does, but you know, I'm not I can't say anything. Yeah. And we do know that Iga idolizes Nadal. Yeah. So interesting. I was curious if you had a take on it. Um I still don't yet. I'm I'm still 
trying to get more details and understanding of what's yes. going on. But we do know the Middle East is being extremely aggressive in the sports marketplace. Right. Um, they took over golf. They're taking over um, boxing. They're UFC. trying the UFC. They're coming to tennis now. It's you know it's very interesting. Yeah, to they watch. got into soccer too with Ronaldo. Yeah. So. so they're throwing a lot of big money at a lot of big sports. Exactly. It's very interesting. Now, um, big shout out to Rohan Bobana. He's a doubles player. Mm-hmm. He becomes the oldest number one in the world, mm-hmm. age forty three, and still making it in the doubles. Oldest world number one, forty three years old. What are your thoughts on that? Mind boggling, um, impressive. They showed a picture of when he first came on the pro tour, and then they showed a picture of him now today. It looks like he's his own coach. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> he's so yes. much older than he used to be. Um, 43 years old, I believe it was. Correct. Um, yeah, that's amazing. You know, and it's funny because he's been around so long, I kind of forgot I know who he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I knew him who from back then, and I saw his face, and I was like, that guy? He's still playing. So, uh, he's still finding success, you know. Yes. Uh, world number one. World number one. So, good for him. Major shout out to him. I'm impressed. Yeah, that that's huge news for yeah. sure. So, uh, moving on to the next one is uh, our uh, legendary quarter finalist, uh, Rublev at the Australian Open, picked up his 300th career tour win at the Australian Open. Mm. Thoughts? The man of consistency and anger. I love it. Um, this guy is, he's one of my favorites and best of the rest kind of guys. You know, I'm a big fan of everything he does i love his consistency i love what he's doing and you know ultimately the question for me isn't is he going to keep winning i think that he's doing a great job at gatekeeping the position he's in and beating everyone below him and having wars with the people above him i just wonder is this a sign that he will eventually break through because we've seen people in his position never break through and we've seen some that are late bloomers as well right what are your thoughts on that part Okay, see, what I think is he's actually playing to his ranking, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, he's, what, five, six? Yeah. So, technically speaking, the top four are supposed to make it to the semifinals. Yeah. So, technically speaking, he is playing to his ranking. Yeah, absolutely. So, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he will break through. Mm-hmm. I do believe that he has the weaponry to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it could be Djokovic, but mm-hmm. against another top four. Uh, I think he could. Yeah. And by the way, that was his 10th consecutive quarterfinal. Goodness gracious. As well. You want to talk about consistency. That's consistency right there. Yeah. Um, I think we just wait for a draw to open up. Right. That, like someone loses on a, that he doesn't have to beat, and then he breaks through. Exactly. And we've seen that with Ferrer, and we've seen that with Burditch, and exactly. we've seen that with Nishikori. We've seen that with a lot of the guys in his same position. When one person drops out, they go straight to the final. Exactly. Casper Rude, you lucky bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Why couldn't it be (laughs) Rublev? Now, before I go with the the other people that have made first-time appearances, I'm going to get my Stefano Sissi pass out of the way. Oh, man. All right. So, he said uh, Djokovic needs to be nice so other people could win and uh, whatever the heck he said right now. All right, we do know that Stefano Sissipas was going to be on Djokovic's half of the draw, but he overlooked Taylor Fritz, and Taylor Fritz beat Stefano Sissipas, mm-hmm. and Fritz was the one who played Djokovic, not mm-hmm. Stefano's. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm a Fritz fan, and we know how this podcast feels about the legendary CC Pass. So No geez. Um I'm I'm kinda glad at the way things played out. I, I hate to be a hater. I'm a hater here. You know, I can I could say that. And great job, Taylor Fritz. I think you had an incredible tournament. I think you played some of the best tennis of your life. And it's funny that he flew under the radar for people like Stefanos who assumed everyone else is unimportant. I just can't beat Djokovic. Hold right. On, hold on, buddy. Exactly. There's other people that can beat you. And you got work to do, you know. He's not Rublev, who just beats everyone else. You know, he's not that guy. So, you know, it, it was fun to see. I love to see it. I guess uh, his car isn't as vintage as he claims. Oh my goodness! And there's more to fix on that. Maybe there's a flat tire there, and he oh. needs to fix it real quick. 
<laughs> oh, what a guy. Now, he, this is actually a very interesting stat. Uh, Taylor Fritz recorded his first top 10 win against Stefano Sissipas. Would you have figured that that's his first top 10 win in a major? That That's kind of surprising. Yeah, I'm shocked about that. You know, he has notable dramatic victories outside of slams. But maybe this means he's never really made the runs we think he should have in slams. Um, that's surprising. And I hate I hate that for him. Um, he's known for his match play against Nadal. Right. You know, so it's surprising that this is the first time. But it also speaks to how surprising the win against Nadal in Ian Wells was as well. So, you know, I think this is a great sign for him in his year. I yes, think so. I, I agree. So we're going to get to... Uh, Nuno Borges, who is the first Portuguese man to make it to the fourth round. He ended up losing to Medvedev. Uh, he had a heck of a tournament. Uh, any thoughts on that? Who's uh, had a heck of a tournament? Uh, Nuno Borges. He's a Portuguese player. He ended up losing <sighs> who did he to upset? Medvedev. He upset someone. Yes, he did. It, it was somebody uh, I, I don't recall right now. Yeah, he upset a seated player. Um, right before he lost to Medvedev. And I just remember being actually very surprised by that upset. But, you know, I think he had um, a great tournament. And he lost to a person that he was absolutely supposed to lose to. So I think that we can't call it a fluke. He upset Dimitrov. Oh, Dimitrov. Yeah, that's who it was. He took out Dimitrov in four sets. Right. Um, And just to bring this up, before that, he straight sets on Fakina. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he, he went through a pretty impressive draw. Um. Yeah, I'm impressed by what the guy did. Never had heard of him prior. I maybe that's just me being ignorant, but he came out of nowhere to me as a spectator. So I don't know if maybe you knew a little backstory on this guy. I, I didn't. Uh, but don't worry about it. Everybody's giving a ton of flack to uh Patrick McEnroe to where ev- every time a new player comes up, he's a I never heard of this guy. <laughs> So everybody's uh, all giving him flack. But I will say this, uh, McEnroe, you're a great commentator, but it's your job. Yeah. It's your job to know these players Mm. and to give facts about these players. Yeah. So instead of acting as if, oh, oh, they're not worthy of my attention, that's your job. Do some research and give us some uh, facts about these players. Yeah. I will say that. Yes, exactly. So this is actually a very uh, interesting a topic here. Uh, Hercotch, uh is the first Polish man to reach the Australian Open quarterfinal. First? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I, I thought that Hercotch actually had a, a deep run or at least had matched the quarterfinal before, but I guess he didn't. And as you know, he did lose to Medvedev in five. It was a heck of a uh, Great match. match. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Hercotch? I mean, I think when we first start to see Hercotch on the tour... Um, I think you called out that he was very much potentially a future Burdich, Tomasz Burdich. Correct. And he's living up to that call you made. You know, he's really striking the ball clean. He's a great baseliner and he's got a rock solid serve. He's a big body that moves pretty well. And I think that he's another Rublev for me where he plays to his ranking. Yes. You know, he plays well to his ranking and we're just kind of waiting to see when he'll play above his ranking because it's a matter of time, right? Yes. Um, I think Wimbledon will be a great opportunity for him. And I think that anywhere that rewards a big server, he should be considered a quarter semifinalist already. Right. Um, he's, he doesn't seem to fear the big stage. He doesn't seem to fear the bigger seeds. I think that he's a threat. I think he's amazing. Yes, I agree. Uh, he's a very good player. Ace leader as well mm-hmm. last year. And he has a lot of weaponry to do it. He's actually a very smooth mover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a very clean ball striker. Exactly. He's not Burdich. Yeah. But but he's kind of close. I've seen videos of him, and I'm, whoa, this guy's actually clean. Not as clean of a ball striker. Much better server. Yeah. Which I would trade for that. Yeah. So, exactly. You know, I, I think that having the bigger serve as a weapon instead of striking so clean um, will get you a little further. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we might as well get to that right now. So, But first, we're going to give some stats. So Alcaraz becomes the youngest player in the open era to reach fourth round in seven consecutive Grand Slams. Mm. Uh, and he beat the record of Bjorn Borg. What are your thoughts on that? I think that we need no more stats on this young man. <laughs> his his future, 
can only be heralded by his health. Nothing else can stop him. He's destined for the Hall of Fame. He's destined for greatness. He's already done everything that we speculated was possible. And now it's just how long will he do it for? I agree. That's the only question. So I hope that his team is well aware of that and they're taking care of his body to the maximum. It appears they are. When I see they're behind the scenes, they're doing the deep stretches. They're taking care of the body's warm-ups. They're keeping him in shape. He's staying lean. He's staying in a good headspace. They're doing all the right things to create longevity. Um, My only concern is he relies a lot on physicality in his play style. But I think the drop shot and maybe growing his serve can make some big changes in his longevity also. He's changing the game with Mm. his drop shots. Yeah. So Medvedev even talked about it on court when he was asked, why do you return so deep? Mm -hmm. And the drop shots were mentioned that... uh, he said, Medvedev, in his mm. on-court interview, he said that Alcaraz beat him at Indian Wells with the dropper. And then in Miami, he's never faced so many droppers in his life. <laughs> and he was getting to a lot of them. Mm. So Alcaraz is definitely changing the game, for sure. Yeah. But here is a very interesting comment he made. So he was told that he broke that record of Bjorn Borg. Mm. His response was, I'm not here to break his records. I'm here to break somebody else's records what are your thoughts on that i love i love some of his commentary he's very much it's a little scary sometimes because he's so tunnel visioned into kill Djokovic, new big three me number one (laughs) like he doesn't see anything else in his peripheral he's got complete blacked out tunnel vision on what's the most important thing and i think it's why he's done what he's done now yes you know so Although maybe it's been to a detriment in a few small moments in his career so far, in the big picture, it's the most important factor about him. Yes. And here's a very interesting stat as well. Um, Straight sets win at Grand Slams. He has a 48.1% straight win in Grand Slams. There's only one man better than him. And it's not Djokovic. It's Nadal. Mm. Nadal straight sets people... 54.4% 54.4% of the time. Djokovic isn't even in the top five. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you're going you're gonna to understand this better than most people can, right? Which is when, no, uh, when Nadal is at peak health, when Nadal is playing tennis at his best, he's coming to steamroll the competition. I don't know... If listeners are going to remember this, but I know you will remember this. 2008 to 2015, if Nadal's in a draw, it's straight sets until the quarterfinals. Oh, for sure. He's not dropping dropping sets. You might not be getting games off him. And he is flying through players. Yeah. Um, The dominance from him and Federer in that early phase, in the early rounds, you... It was mind-blowing. It was one of the most uh, biggest upsets in the sport if they lost before the third round. Oh, big time. And the world would stop if they dropped sets in the first three rounds. Um, Novak doesn't have that. Right. You know, um, we've seen him have five setters or four setters in the first, second, third round, you know. Um, I don't know if you recall when John Isner and Nadal, you definitely remember this. Oh, for sure. The John yes. Isner and Nadal first round, I think it was. Five sets. Five sets. And the whole world stopped. Yes. All of time froze for that match. Um, it's a different time, you know? And I think that it's funny to think how five years from now, maybe people will have forgotten about what it was like to see Nadal or Federer go through a slam draw because it was a thing of beauty, you know, what they were doing. So. Those statistics are the only thing that'll stand the test of time. Yes, I believe that there was five times, less than five times, that he went to five sets at the French Open, mm-hmm. and he won all of them. Uh, Nadal. Yeah. So that's how dominant he is on clay. Yeah. You want to so, talk about taking someone to deep waters. Yeah, there you're definitely playing for second place there. Mm-hmm. So, but now let's get to the match. But before we do that, let's talk about the fans here overreacting. <laughs> so... um we all know Zverev upset uh, Alcaraz, although it's kind of hard to say it is an upset because Zverev does have a winning record on Alcaraz. Yeah. But Alcaraz is the higher seed. Yeah. But people are just hating. They're all, he's overhyped. 
he's not the real deal. Hmm? Sinner is the real deal. Really? Uh, he's just overhyped. He's not going to live up to any of it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Childish. Childish thoughts. Um, nonsense. Ridiculous. Um, what are they talking about? You know, this isn't even really an upset. We're talking about a guy who was on the cusp of being world number one before he got injured. Um, he came back, already has a winning record on the guy, and we're calling it an upset that he lost to him. This was just a good match. That's all it was. People forget that Zverev, if he didn't have a weak mindset in the U.S. Open final with his serve, just his serve, he'd be a Grand Slam champion right now. That's true. Um, He lowered his serve speed down to 70 miles per hour when he was serving 135 in the first two sets and gave himself a flop of a performance at the U.S. Open. He's not doing that at this tournament. No, he's not. Um, I'm sure you're going to dive into it in a moment. I will. But... He's doing things that he should have done back then that would have won him a Grand Slam and got him the world number one ranking. He is someone to be careful of and watch, and he's playing above his current seating. People are just, uh, they just look at the present and not really the past. They look at what have you done for me lately. They're fickle. Mm-hmm. So uh, Alcaraz beat Djokovic at Wimbledon where he was the underdog. But people are... Ah, oh, that was seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rublev, I'm sorry, uh, Sinner is the one who's had the hotter Asian swing. Mm-hmm. He beat Djokovic. People are a, caught in the moment. In a two out of three, <laughs> mind it. Yeah. Uh, in a two-week span. Mm-hmm. But Sinner hasn't beaten uh, Djokovic in a Grand Slam yet. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he does it tomorrow night. But yeah, people are just caught up for sure. And uh, he has two Grand Slams. Respect the man. So now we're going to get to the match. Hmm. So uh, a listener of ours told me to dive into it a little bit. So I will. Um, uh, Alcaraz was very flat for sure. He was deer caught in um, deer with uh, headlights. Yeah, he didn't know what, that. He didn't know what to do at all. Um, as a matter of fact, McEnroe was saying he doesn't even have a game plan. He's just striking the ball. And that's what makes him uh, interesting to watch because he doesn't even know what he's going to do. <laughs> And he did that. He did that for the longest time. Yeah. He, he was off of his back foot trying to hit a 90-mile-an-hour forehand. Mm-hmm. And he was just overwhelmed, for sure. Yeah. Finally, in the third set, he started to put more points together. Mm-hmm. He started to utilize the drop shot more. Mm-hmm. He started to move Zverev around more. And that's when he got into the set more. So it's not anything. He did not have a game plan, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we all know that Zverev's backhand is more dominant than his forehand. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to open up the court to his forehand or go to the backhand, backhand, and then open up to the forehand. Yeah. So it, he didn't have a plan at all. Uh, it, it's a little disappointing that he didn't. Uh, I'm assuming that El Mosquito definitely would have made a big difference there. Yeah. But I will say this. I've told you this uh, before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Zverev served like a man. And uh, I will say what that means. In the 90s, you had Pete, you had Goron, to where if your serve was broken, it was over. Yeah. You lost a set. Mm-hmm. Zverev was serving intense, hitting corners. Mm. Uh, I believe he had a stretch of uh, 80% uh, first serve points won between the first and second set or something along those lines. Mm. He was serving monster, and Alcaraz could not touch that serve. And that is one of the reasons why uh, Zverev won. And mm. if he does that, and he continues to do that, he's winning the Australian Open. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? Look, uh, I didn't want to dive too deep into it a moment ago, but Alexander Zverev is what we thought the future of men's tennis was going to be, which is specifically the average height was going to go up three inches. They were going to move like they were 6'2", but they were going to hit like they were 6'6". They were going to have a bigger serve, and they were going to be all-court players that back in the day we used to consider the the loppy, slow guys on the court that have to hit bigger to win. He's found a way with... And I'm talking about him, Medvedev, Kyrgios, Hercotch. There's a whole wave of these guys. But Zverev is... 
the most balanced out of that sector. Um, he does well on clay. He has a massive serve. He's got a rock-solid backhand that can change directions. He can come forward. He plays a little bit more calculated and analytical than he does emotional, which is not always a good thing um, because sometimes I think he thinks himself out of a match instead of harding his way through a match. Um, and that's partially why he lost that U.S. Open final where he came out gunning, you know, 135-mile-per-hour serves on the lines. By the fourth or fifth set, he was serving 72-mile-per-hour serves to Dominic team who was eight feet behind the baseline. Yes. You know, and it cost him the final. I think that maybe we're seeing a new version of him that has the mental stability to play at a high level all the way through an entire five set match. And if that's the case, there's a possibility we're about to see a guy who can beat Djokovic at the Australian open. I agree. Um, He is backhand to backhand going to be able to survive. Yes. He can change directions with him. And if he plays tactically, he's going to be able to open up that backhand side. I agree. Um, So the analytical mind, if he has the self-belief and serves well, like a man. Like a man. um, Not dropping the serve speed by 40 miles. Yes. um, We could see a massive upset here. (laughs) And that's assuming Djokovic gets past Yannick Sinner, who's also playing like a man. Oh, for sure. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So uh, there is a lot to be seen. I think that our remaining players in the draw are all people who could win the Australian Open. All four. Yes, the reason why I say that is because, again, in the 90s, one break and it's over. Yeah. And and it, in the women's game, it was who can hold serve first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's how it was. Yeah. But recently, it's been in the ATP. Mm-hmm. People break serve at will. Yeah. But this this uh, match reminded me of, oh, shoot, it went back to if Alcaraz loses serve, it's over. Yeah. And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So it, it was very exciting to see that. Yeah. So uh, now we're going to get to Djokovic, who has a ton of stats. But he recorded his 48th bagel in a Grand Slam uh, in this tournament. As we know, he double bageled Manorino, mm. who is a top 20 tennis player. So that is very impressive. Very impressive. Yes, he has 48 bagels in a Grand Slam. Uh, there's only one man better. Andre was a killer. <sighs> he, he came to play. Yeah. He has 50 bagels mm. in a Grand Slam. That's crazy. Now, here's something that's interesting to me. Uh, uh, talking about the previous stat, Alcaraz has a higher straight set percentage. Mm. So if he's bageling people so much, why doesn't he win in straight sets more? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think you have an opportunity to get more bagels when you play more five setters. Ha ha, there you go. You know, <laughs> uh, it's a ratio game. So it's okay, you won more bagels, but how many more sets did you play in? Um, which is very interesting. But here's the, the more respectable and admirable part to bagel someone requires you to have an incredible return game. Yes. That's the key, right? Because. Sampras, for example, was very much, oh, I broke you once. I'm going to snooze through the rest of your service games because I'm going to hold anyway. 6-4 in my sleep. 6-4, But the Novaks of the world are going, I'm in every single service you have. I'm in there. I'm getting a lot of balls in play, aggressive and deep. Agassi is the king of that. Yes. So I think that that's why they do so well with getting donuts as well on players. Yeah, I will give you that. Uh, we're talking about Two of the, not two of the best, the two best returners on the ATP ever. Yeah. We have the the most aggressive uh, returner, which is Agassi. Mm-hmm. And then we have the most defensive, just get a 130 mile an hour serve in play by any means. Yeah. And that's Djokovic. Yeah. So th- those are the two the best returners. And now you know why they're begging people. Yeah. <clears throat> so here's another crazy stat. He recorded his 700th victory on hard court, uh, Djokovic. Wow. Only on hard court. Wow. Now, Federer does have more victories on hard court. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number, mm-hmm. but uh, Djokovic recorded his 700th in this Australian Open. What are your thoughts on that? Let's just put in perspective. A man who's been in nine or ten consecutive quarterfinals just recorded his 300th total win. Yes. Djokovic has 700 on one surface. 
That's a mind-blowing statistic. And it just speaks to his longevity and consistency, you know. So, major shout-out to Djokovic. The stat is crazy. And then, obviously, the big one is 58. He tied Federer with the most quarterfinals ever in a Grand Slam. He'll be taking that next tournament. Yes. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I'll save my reaction for when he w- takes the overall record because it will happen. So, I'll see you then. <laughs> okay. And then, in this... Um, Australian Open, he recorded his 92nd victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has 92 at Roland Garros, 92 at Wimbledon, and 88 at the U.S. Open. Hmm. Those are his wins on Grand Slams. Jeez. Uh, you want to talk about that? Um, it's just very interesting to hear how close together the numbers are on all of them. Um, he's almost super balanced when it comes to the slams, outside of obviously the outlier being the Australian. He's a very dominant guy everywhere he goes. He's definitely an all-surface player now. And it's amazing to think because his play style doesn't seem to say, I'm going to dominate on clay, grass, and hardcourt. And he doesn't. Um, It really speaks to his ability to adapt and make his game work everywhere he goes. Now, we do know that uh, Djokovic is playing Yannick Sinner. Mm -hmm. Um, Alcaraz was asked in his press conference after his loss, can any of these guys beat Djokovic? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you that question now. Can any of these guys beat Djokovic for the Australian Open? You know what's funny? Um, my number one pick to beat Djokovic is Zverev. The way he's serving, yes. Yeah, that's my Big number time. one. It's my number one pick. And we got a glimpse of what's possible watching the Taylor Fritz match. Um, it was neck and neck. And I genuinely do think that Zverev has a more complete game than Taylor Fritz. Um, I think his backhand's a little stronger. And I do want to say, Taylor Fritz's backhand showed up to play. He did. He played well. But I think Zverev, his backhand is so strong that I think we see Novak come in with a different game plan than the one he used with Taylor Fritz. And that will play in Zverev's hands. I agree. Um, Zverev's forehand is a solid ball. And his serve is just as good, if not better, if he's there mentally. Right. So... That's my number one pick to beat Djokovic. Medvedev has shown what he's capable of against Djokovic, so you can't say he can't do it. But he's actually my last pick. Yes. Um, I think that he respects Djokovic the most out of the three of them, and that's a problem when it comes time to beating someone. And I think Yannick Sinner, I I just, I'll be honest, I don't think he's going to do it in five. I think he can do it in three for sure. I don't know if he can do it in five unless he serves out of his mind. So, we'll see. I think all three of them are capable. Zverev is my number one choice. I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. And for Holger Rune's sake, uh, he said that one of the young guns has to beat uh, Djokovic. So, mm-hmm. maybe uh, Sinner could do something that Rune can't do either. Yeah. So, and now we're going to talk about retirements. So, you thought the episode was over? Not yet. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about Millman. Oh. Uh, Millman retired this year. Now, Here's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. He's an Australian, and yet Craig Tilly, who's the tournament director, made him play qualifiers. Wow. He did not make it. And then he was all, all right, I'm calling it a career. Do you think that the Australian Open owed Millman a straight entry? It's a little difficult. Um, I think that at the Grand Slam level... It would be nice, right? It would be nice if Tennis Australia gave him a, a free pass in. But at the same time, I think that a guaranteed pass in is something more like a Brisbane, um, Adelaide. I think some of these other satellite events that are within the, the region would have been a better place for him to get a guaranteed pass in to do his farewell. I think it's a it's a big ask for a player who's never quite been top 10 to demand automatic entry as a legacy act into a grand slam. Even if he's an Australian at in Australia. Can we let's, let's, let's talk here. Um, when Stevie Johnson retires, does he have a right to demand a slot at the U S open? I don't know if he it's demanding, but I guess he's done just enough for American tennis to get an entry. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Um, in that case, then, I'd have to say Millman should have got Djokovic first round. 
Oh, okay. There, <laughs> you, there you go. You know, <laughs> something like that. You know, throw them to the wolves kind of thing. But I just think that it's a question of... Because getting a free pass into a Grand Slam is you taking someone else's spot in that Grand Slam, right? Yes. And I... I can't remember if Millman was the one who gave Federer that big fit at a match. Thing. He did. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna say that um, his biggest claim to fame was that year when it was humid as heck at mm. the U.S. Open, and um, Federer even said, "I this wasn't tennis. Mm-hmm. Federer is the one who has played five sets, five hours long, mm-hmm. and his hair is still in place." Yeah, that year. His shirts were soaked, mm-hmm. and he just said, "I just wanted to leave." Yeah, but Millman out endured him, mm-hmm. so that was his biggest claim to fame, and that was a big victory at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I just don't think Millman has been that busy. You know, um, he's not active. He's just not that active in the singles line. So I know that 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 was a super memorable moment. It was really memorable. Um, I think that that video is online and it gets replayed all the time. And they talk about Fetter's escape artist plan or, you know, whatever they called it. But, yeah, I don't know if it's enough for me, personally. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, good stuff, Millman. Uh, hopefully you have a, a great life after tennis. Yeah, I'm sure he will. And now we're going to talk about Danielle Collins. Mm. Uh, she announced right after that after the loss to Iga that she is planning she she said that she's a very planned person she wants to have a baby uh, i believe she's 29 30 years old and she said that it's time now to have a baby so she said that uh this year for sure is going to be her last um she was a two-time uh NCAA champion mm-hmm. she won uh San Jose uh, she was a finalist at the Australian Open. Mm. She did beat Iga in the semifinals, lost to Barty in the finals. So those are pretty much the big highlights. And she had a heck of a career in college for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, uh, oh, that's right. Billie Jean King Cup uh, winner in 2019. And uh, again, twice NCAA champion. For the University of Florida from 2014 and 16. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Danielle Collins? I I love Danielle Collins. I'm a big Danielle Collins fan. I like the drama, the controversy. I I like what she brought to women's tennis. Um, I thought she was an entertainer and a seat filler. So I think she made a lot of enemies and friends. Oh, big time! <laughs> <laughs> but um, it she it's a presence that is leaving the sport. Um, and I think it deserves a farewell. So farewell to her. She did a great job bringing something to the game and toodaloo. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, and uh, real quick, Sloane Stevens did make a comment about Danielle Collins. And she said, it's kind of sad to see people that are my age leaving the game when they still have game. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to feel about that. Mm-hmm. That's what Sloane Stevens said. I don't know if she was saying wow, do I belong here? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on her comment? Um, I think that she's definitely checking how it relates to her and what it means to her as a player. But look, especially in the WTA, some of these women are ready to start a- another part of their lives. Yes. Um, and they have other plans and goals. Uh, Barty's a great example of it. Yes. You know, they come in and get what they want from the sport and then they go, okay, I have other things I want to do as well. Yes. Um, and we even start to hear this in the ATP as well now. A lot of the guys go, I get my slam, I'll be done. I'm good. So um, I think the slow might be viewing it a little bit wrong. I think that maybe some people just got what they needed already. Yes, you said that... Um Danielle Collins was always on YouTube when it came to uh, reality. Oh, that's right. Uh, The WTA players would say, who do you think would be on a reality TV show? And it was always uh, Danielle Collins who would be it. Mm -hmm. What I do know, though, is that I would definitely fear Danielle Collins. Yeah. She has kicked out her boyfriend out of the stadium. She has mad-dogged her opponents. There's been times where they're crying mm. because they just want to match. Danielle Collins straight out just hops over the net, goes to the other side, shakes hand, and then bounces. 
quickly. Uh, you know how Djokovic mad dog Nori for slamming it mm-hmm. at his uh, feet? I think Danielle Collins would have done something about it. Oh, for sure. For sure. She's spicy. So, yeah, so I can appreciate that. Yeah. So again, Danielle Collins, I think you had a wonderful career. A great American uh, player as well. And mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy the rest of your uh, life. So good stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's pretty much it. In that case, I hope you guys enjoyed this filled episode, and I hope you guys were entertained. ATP. Adios.